Well, let's pray before we turn to the Word of God. Father, we thank you that in a world of falsehood and lies and deception, your Word is truth, absolute glorious truth. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And Jesus said he would take the things of Jesus and show them to us. And Father, we ask that that will happen this morning. Please help us by your Holy Spirit. Help me as I speak and help all of us as we listen and think and respond. In Jesus' name. I was asking the children, who are you? And we're going to turn to a passage of scripture which helps us to answer that question again. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. Reading from verse 1. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you, I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you. I will give men in exchange for you, and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, but I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I'll say to the north, give them up. And to the south, don't hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name. Whom I created for my glory. Whom I formed and made. A number of people, as you very well know, both Christians and non-Christians suffer sometimes from what is called a poor self-image. They feel inferior, they feel unimportant, they feel insignificant, they feel worthless, and they sometimes think, well, if, if I die tomorrow, nobody would miss me. I don't really amount to much. But God says something very, very different to us. If for a moment we look over into Romans chapter 12, we find Paul saying there to Christians, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. You'll probably agree with me if I suggest that once we become Christians, once we meet the Lord Jesus Christ and he becomes part of our life, we have a different view of ourselves. And we should have too. And Paul is telling us that we ought to be able, because of our faith in the Lord, to have a proper understanding of who we are and what we are. Little words sometimes are very important. And little words like but can be amazingly important. For example, when Paul writes to the Christians in Turkey, 
as we can find in Ephesians chapter 1. He says there, the beginning of chapter 2 will not take time to read it, but it's a very dark picture he paints of what it's like to not be a Christian, to not know Jesus. And then he says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. The old King James Version puts but and God together. And it says, but God. Now, I remember a man called Martin Lloyd-Jones. He used to come up from London to Glasgow once a year to preach. He came twice and preached the same text, from the same text, not the same sermon, but he preached from the same text. And his text was, but God. It doesn't matter how terrible things are, how hopeless things are, how awful things are, but God. And you turn the corner into something totally, wonderfully different. Here, the passage begins with the word, but now, but now. And it's important that we should be switched on to hear what God wants to say to us today, tomorrow, the next day. We never know when God will drop some very special word into our minds or reveal some very special word from his word. But now, not then, not some other time, but now. And then there are places where we find, for example, in Isaiah 41, where the prophet was led to write, But you, God is talking about other people who are not his people. And all of a sudden he says, But you, my servant. And later in the chapter he says, Others may be having all sorts of problems, but you will rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel. So let's, let's expect God to speak a now word to us this morning. What he wants some of us perhaps especially to hear and to remember and to act upon. So what kind of person do you think you are? I know what kind of person I think I am by the grace of God. What kind of person do you think you are? Well, from this little passage we read this morning, we can extract three words that sum up a great deal of what God thinks of us. Number one, he says, you are lovable. He's writing to these people who were in exile because of their sinfulness and their wickedness, and yet he's reminding them that he loves them. He says it there in verse 4. You are precious and honoured in my sight, and because I love you. Three little words, which every husband and every wife should say to one another at regular intervals. Oh yes, I love you. Go to Jeremiah 31, and Jeremiah is led to write, the Lord is saying this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. It's not something that just arrived yesterday. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. And that's why we're here this morning. If we hadn't been drawn to the Lord Jesus by loving kindness, if we hadn't experienced this everlasting love of God, we'd be away doing something else, wouldn't we? I would. You would probably too. Where do we see most clearly the measure of God's love for us? Well, the answer is written clearly in the word of God. 
As Paul writes to the Christians in Rome, he says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The place where we most clearly see a demonstration of the amazing, incredible love of God is a place called Calvary, where the Son of God laid down his life, died a most horrible death, experienced separation from his Father. And God says, do you want to understand how much I love you? Keep looking back to that cross. Keep remembering that event. And of course this love that the Lord has for us is not something that might grow cold. Human love sometimes, sadly, grows cold, but God's love doesn't. As John writes to the book of Revelation, he pauses to express praise to the Lord Jesus and says to him who loves us, present tense, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, Jesus loves you now. He loves us when we sin, he loves us when we don't sin. God says, I love you. And that is such an important thing to hold on to. Because we've probably all had people as neighbours or workmates or even family members who didn't seem to love us very much. They kind of tolerated us, but they didn't really love us. But God says, not that way with me. I love you. You are lovable. Point number one. Secondly, in the same verse in Isaiah 43, we are reminded that we are valuable. We are valuable. God says, since you are precious and honoured in my sight and because I love you, you are precious. Precious beyond all valuation. Every human life is precious in the eyes of God. This is why murder is such an appalling thing. When someone dares to take somebody else's life, they're virtually insulting God who gave that person that life. You are precious. And interestingly, if we go over to the two letters that were written by the Apostle Peter, we find Peter using that word again and again. He says, for example... You know it was not with perishable things like silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. He particularly emphasizes the fact that the blood that Jesus shed on the cross is precious blood. No wonder it's called precious. Think of the number of sins which have been washed away, wiped away by that precious blood of Christ. We find later in the same chapter, second chapter, Peter saying, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you are being built into a spiritual house. And to you who believe, this stone is precious. Our Saviour is precious to us, just as he's precious to his Father. Then again, Peter reminds us that our faith is precious. Our faith is precious. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he begins by saying this. He says, To those who through the righteousness of God, our God and Saviour Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Peter is saying, My faith is precious and so is yours. 
Faith is a precious gift from God. Now sometimes we wonder why God allows us to go through difficulties and trials and testings and we don't like what's happening to us. But the Bible explains in many places why these things happen to us. And here in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, talking about the salvation we have, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a short time you may have had to go through grief and all kinds of trials. These have come. So that your faith of greater value than gold, which perishes, may be proved genuine. So when God is giving me a little bit of a hard time, or allowing me to have a little bit of a hard time, it's helpful to remember that he's maybe just checking up on my faith level. Because it's easy to have faith when the sun is shining, yes. But when the storms come, and the storms of life assail us, when things come that are threatening, our faith sometimes wavers but it shouldn't and it needn't and God tests our faith now and again and it reminds us that to him to him our faith is a very precious thing it's a gift from him your faith is a very precious thing both to God and to you so we have redemption by precious blood we have Jesus himself a precious stone we have our faith as something very precious. And then we also have in Second Peter the mention of promises. Peter says that God has made sure that we have lots of promises that bring us to faith and help us to go on in faith. He says in Second Peter chapter 1, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world and so on. The promises of God feed our faith because they're all true. We cannot rely on every promise made by a fellow human being, sadly. But we can rely on every promise made by God. And that feeds our faith and keeps it strong. Oh, who are you? What are you? You're lovable. You're valuable. And what is more, you are desirable. Kind of thing a young man says to a young lady when he falls in love with her. I find you highly desirable. Well, this morning, the living God is looking into your face and into mine and saying, you know what? I find you desirable. I enjoy your company. Woo! Makes you feel good, doesn't it, to hear that? You see, my Lord desired my creation. Verse 1, he who created you. Verse 7, everyone whom I created. God created us for his glory so we could bring honour and pleasure to him and he could bring priceless blessing to us. And Colossians 1.16 where I quoted to the boys and girls this morning all things were created by the Lord Jesus for him. He created you so he could enjoy your company so he and you and I could work in partnership. My Lord desired my creation. And sometimes parents rather unwisely say to a late child you're an accident not a very nice thing to say to somebody we didn't really want you but we've got you 
you're an accident. Don't say that. God does not say to us, you're an accident. We have been created by design, on purpose, by the living God. My Lord desired my creation, and of course he desired my redemption, because he says in verse 1 here, Fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. And redemption means liberty, liberation, after the payment of the appropriate price. And Jesus paid in full for our redemption. Comes again in verse 3. I am the Lord your God. I give Egypt for your ransom. The same idea. Now in Revelation chapter 5, we are able to listen in, as it were, as the Apostle John tells us what he heard as he was in tune with heaven. They were singing, he says, and they were singing to Jesus, and they were singing these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The picture is a picture of a slave market. It's a pretty big one. Into that slave market, the slave of the world, the global slave market. And remember you and I have all begun our lives as slaves to sin. We were in that slave market. And Jesus walks into that slave market and somebody asks him, Who have you come to buy? What kind of slave are you looking for? And our Lord Jesus says, I have come to buy them all. Oh, that's mind-blowing, isn't it? That our living Lord Jesus to be willing to lay down his life to redeem people who were in slavery to sin I don't know about you but I can hardly hold back the tears as I think this morning of how wonderful it is to be liberated by Jesus my Lord desired my creation my redemption my protection my protection he tells these people who are going to face a long trek home from exile facing dangers on the way and he says never mind whether it's fire or rivers you'll be okay because I'm coming with you do not be afraid I'm coming with you you know my dear wife was taken home to heaven four years ago and especially since we retired we did so much together and then as she slowly died from Alzheimer's disease my principal occupation was taking her out, doing things with her, having outings, just to occupy her, doing everything together. And the day came when she was gone. And I still find it difficult, four years later, to do things on my own, to go here and there on my own. I just don't want to do it most of the time. And occasionally, when I have to go somewhere, or I want to go somewhere, I say, Lord, I'm sorry. I know I'm not really on my own. You're coming with me. I'm going to be in good company. Don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. So, we're desirable to God. My Lord desired my creation, my redemption, my protection, and my communion, my fellowship. My fellowship. He says, I've called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. We have an intimate relationship 
And God is saying, I treasure that relationship. Jesus treasures the relationship he has with those of us who know him. The Song of Solomon is not a book from which preachers preach very often. It can be viewed in either of two ways. It can be viewed either as a love poem between two people of the opposite sex, and yet it can also be viewed as illustrating the relationship between the Lord Jesus, our bridegroom, and the church, believing people who are his bride. And in that second chapter of the Song of Solomon, the lover, that would be Jesus, says, Show me your face. Show me your face. Let me hear your voice. If you're not a good singer, some people will never say that to you. Let me hear your voice. But Jesus says, show me your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet. And your face is comely. So when we take the time and make the effort to look up to the Lord and praise Him and worship Him, we're pleasing Him. He loves it. Show me your face. Let me hear your voice. When Jesus called 12 men who were going to become the apostles, Mark tells us that he called these men that he might send them out to serve him. No, no. He called these men that they might be with him and that he might send them out to serve him. And some Christians make the mistake of spending very little time with Jesus in prayer, in worship, in feeding on God's word, but they rush here and there and all over the place serving him. Got to get the balance right. Being with him and also serving him. Then our Lord Jesus, as he anticipated his death and resurrection and ascension to the Father, he prayed, you remember, a prayer recorded in John 17, a magnificent chapter. And the third part of that chapter is one in which Jesus was then praying for those who would become disciples in the future, and that includes us right now, right here. He said, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory. Oh, as the hymn writer said, Oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, when by his grace I shall look on his face. That will be glory, be glory for me. So, you see, the scriptures indicate that our God desires our company. He calls us to walk with him. And it's not something new. Because way back in the book of Leviticus, the Jewish people heard this call from God. And Moses recorded that. But the Lord says in chapter 26, I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers and I will keep my covenant with you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. This is one area in which the church is different from every other company of people. It's not an institution. It's not a denomination. It's a living organism. And in that living organism, the living God is present among his people. And that's what I sense in this very hall here. The living God present among his people. The question is, not just 
what kind of person am I? What kind of present kind of person are you? The second question follows on from that. Do we want to walk with God? He wants our company. He doesn't just want us to have our sin forgiven and know we're going to heaven when we die. He actually wants our company seven days a week. He wants our company. Do we want to walk with God? Well, Enoch did. And the Lord took him without having to die. But he was commended while he was still alive as a man who pleased God. You know, one preacher had a nice little take on that. He said, Enoch and God were having their daily walk one day. And reached a certain point. And God said to Enoch and said, you know what? We've walked so far today. Why don't you come to my place? Instead of going to your place. And God took him home. Lovely. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. Abraham walked with God. When Abraham was 99, God said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. And be blameless. Whoa. How wonderful. What kind of person am I? I'm lovable. I'm valuable. And in God's opinion, whatever my friends may think, whatever my neighbors may think, in God's opinion, I am highly desirable. And so are you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for speaking to us from your word. We thank you for the wealth of truth you have preserved for our blessing and we ask that you will help us day by day to live by every word that comes from the mouth of our God in Jesus name